Hey there, Recovery Nation. Producer John here. Lately, Ted's been working to better understand and communicate how women experience alcohol, addiction, and recovery. Today, we'll be sharing a few different perspectives, but first, I'd like to play this message I found with the raw interview files that Ted sent me for this week's episode. Hey, John. I just finished the Jenny Hearth interview and was just simply blown away by her honesty and down-to-earth perspective on alcohol addiction and sobriety. Jenny was like a modern-day housewife who drank wine and booze with other housewives for several years, just fitting in, and then eventually fell into the throes of, of alcohol addiction, only to dig herself out and find sobriety. She not only found sobriety, but living intentionally in sobriety, loving, laughing, and really living in the moment. I mean, it's an incredible, incredible story. So I'm so blessed that uh, she was able to come on the show and tell her story, and I'm just hoping, man, our listeners could uh, gain something from, from this interview. Just a fabulous, fabulous, amazing person. You're listening to Full Potential Now with Ted Isidore. Stick around for Ted's interview with Gene Hirth, writer at SoberlySpeaking.com and contributor at Addiction.com. But first, Ted spends a few minutes hearing from his own daughter and a friend to get their thoughts about moms, partying, and the social acceptance of increased drinking among women. Stay tuned. So why has drinking been on the rise with women since the 1980s? I think drinking has always been more of a boys club kind of thing, you know, crack open a cold one with the boys, but uh, over the years I think it's become more socially acceptable for women to also have a drink and that's probably where it starts. Yeah, I also think that like a lot of it is like, you know, like the soccer moms that like get stressed out and they have to like do all this stuff with the kids and like take them places and they never really get time to themselves because they're always taking care of other people and so then there's like this kind of like whole like wine moms like thing like there's even like a youtube channel where they like talk about like this like an actual it's like her like thing it's like she's a wine mom they've made it into a thing on social media that's actually socially acceptable but i think it's probably helping to foster more drinking instead of, you know, by making light of it, by making it kind of funny. So you're both kind of young. Yeah. So have you noticed an increase with moms drinking, just in your own experience? Well, my mom personally, I know what type of wine she likes because we'll be at the store and be like, I've had a rough day with you, go get me some wine. (laughs) But uh, no, I don't don't know if there's been an increase. Um, She's recently started shooting whiskey but that's just because she tried it with their friend but there has never been like excessive drinking and actually my father doesn't drink so it was interesting having the mother play more um, of a male role a considered male role in the household as the breadwinner and the drinker (laughs) so do you notice anything with like younger people around your age like you're around 18 so just coming up through high school, do you notice like an increase with girls drinking? I think it's like equal. I think it's mostly just like it's guys and girls that drink now like at parties and stuff. 
it's I've always heard of like the like it's never seems like it's like oh like all the guys do it and like they all are there it oh. seems like it's really even like it's girls and guys doing it so maybe that's the thing that's changed maybe yeah. it's just become that like girls are doing it equally as men but where it used to be like they didn't do it really at all yeah it's not just the football players getting wasted on the weekends now it's the cheerleaders do like, yeah. they're with them it's yeah. cheerleaders it's and football players getting wasted together <laughs> we know that is now officially equal <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> According to a Gallup poll in 2010, nearly two-thirds of all American women drank regularly, a higher percentage than in any other time in 25 years. You see, the gender gap has been narrowing over the past 20 years, it seems. In several studies conducted by the National Survey on Drug Use and Health, as well as investigations by the National Institute of Health, evidence shows that since World War II, the percentage of women who abstain from alcohol has steadily fallen. At the same time, women have reported larger increases in both level of drinking and binge drinking compared with men. In a single decade from 2002 to 2012, the portion of women who drank rose from roughly 45% to 48%, while the portion of male drinkers fell from 57% to 56%. So are women drinking more? A survey conducted by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention between 2011 and 13 indicated that 53.6% of women ages 18 to 44 were drinking and 18.2% were binge drinking. The CDC followed up the alert that 3 million women were at risk of increasing the likelihood of sudden death syndrome and fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. Finally, according to the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, the gender gap has even closed with teenagers, with about 20% of 17-year-olds drinking regularly and 13% binge drinking. So what does this all mean for the average woman these days who works a full-time job or is a stay-at-home mom with her kids? I mean, aren't we making a bigger deal than it needs to be if a woman just simply meets up with her friends for a few glasses of wine a couple times a week? or if maybe she chooses to have a couple glasses of wine before dinner several times a week. It's not like she's a raging alcoholic or is going to be hospitalized for liver disease. Or is it just a trend that will soon fade with time, overblown by research and media once again? And besides, drinking can be really fun. Well, I have Jeannie Hirth with us in the uh, Full Potential Now Addiction Podcast. Um, she has a, a wonderful blog. She's helping a lot of people in recovery. And I just think just reading her blog and talking to her briefly a few days ago, she is a very dynamic person. So we're looking forward to having her on today. So Jeannie, welcome to the show. And we want to ask... And we want to ask kind of our, our big first question, which is, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself so our audience can kind of get to know you. Okay, thank you, Ted. Uh, my name is Jeannie, and I'm 54 years old. I've been living intentionally sober since I was 44 years old. It's the single greatest thing I've ever done for myself, and um, I'm, I'm just... I regret a little bit that I didn't discover sobriety sooner. 
I always thought that it would be um, something painful or not very pleasant, so I put it off for as long as I could, and I've, uh, I'm delighted to discover that it is a, it's a wonderful place to be, and I just wish that more people knew it. And maybe that's why I blog about sobriety, because um, I, I want, I'd like the whole world to know that uh, the choice to the choice of sobriety is it's a wonderful thing it's, it's not a punitive thing and it's available to anybody who wants it you know not just the down and out alcoholic it's a lifestyle choice as far as i'm concerned available to everybody oh beautiful beautiful well um i'm kind of fascinated with you because i don't come across a ton of people at least so far that are super hip like on sobriety, like really living it. And you really strike me as a person that is. So I'm wondering if you might be able to take some time and just maybe tell us a little bit about your addiction to recovery story in your own okay. words. Sure. Um, sure. I, I started drinking as a teenager, like many people did back in the 70s. I um, had I had a lot of fun with it. I had friends. We had bonfires. You know, we sang songs. You know, we uh, we got drunk. <laughs> we got together the next day and exchanged our war stories. Do you remember this? What happened there? It was. It seemed like everybody was drinking, and it seemed like everybody was drinking the way I was drinking. I don't know if you recall, back in the 70s, we used to have every other Wednesday after-school specials. They were usually cautionary tales for kids. Oh, I love those. I love those. I remember that. (laughs) Well, I remember watching some cautionary tales on, on that show about alcoholic teenagers, and it showed them alone in the in the bathroom drinking their parents' liquor, you know, laying on the floor. Um, and so I didn't relate, you know. I was having fun out there with my friends from the neighborhood. You know, we were drinking beer and telling stories, and, and it, it was like an adventure. Um, in hindsight now, I, I, I think I would have had a better time if I was intentionally sober and pursuing other activities that interested me. But that's what we did back then. We were bored. And then I went on to college, and, um, of course, I... Uh, became friends with other people who I think drank like me. And, you know, it was more of the same thing, drinking and having fun and some regrets, but some fun. And then I went on to, uh, you know, later in my 20s, working in the professional field. I worked in the field of social work um, for the state of Georgia and then happy hour on when, you know, happy hour on the weekends and some blackouts here and there. But I, you know, I, I mingled with people who drank like me. I really didn't think that I was much different, although I did have inclinations that maybe I had a problem. Um, but I really didn't think it would be so, um, easy or pleasant to deal with the problem. I thought, um, that's going to be horrible when I have to deal with this. So I'll put it off for as long as I can. So I practiced as best I could controlled drinking. I had rules for myself, you know, never on Wednesday, only on Friday, never alone or only when I go out to eat or only wine, never liquor or only beer, never wine, whatever. You know, the rules changed. I had a lot of rules and I followed them or I changed them. Um, I had friends who had rules. And then I got married. I met my husband in a bar in Savannah, Wet Willie's on River Street. He was a sailor. So uh, we both enjoyed drinking a lot. 
and um, we got married a few years later. We had children. Both of our children were planned. I, I was able to abstain from drinking for both of my pregnancies. I had willpower. That was never a problem. Um, and I, I think I, I ceased drinking a good bit when the kids were little, but then when they went to school, we met other parents who drank like us, you know, uh, PTA people who got together on weekends and really threw down. There were a lot of camping trips with a lot of kids. And we, I, I thought I was having a lot of fun. In hindsight, it was a lot of um, not so fun, you know. And, and my rules, I broke them more and more. And the periods of sobriety in between drinking were shorter and shorter. Am I rambling on too much? No, keep keep going. This is good because I, I, I had a couple questions I wanted to ask, but I don't want to interrupt your flow here. Okay. We can go back to it. Um, in the end, you know, it, I, I used to do spot checks. From the time I was 16, I remember doing spot checks. I'll quit for a week, and if I can do that, I'm not an alcoholic. I'll quit for 10 days. If I can do that, I'm not an alcoholic. I'll quit for nine months while I'm pregnant. If I can do that, I'm not an alcoholic. And it became harder and harder to do the spot checks. Oh, also, during the after having completed those spot checks, I always celebrated with a drink. Of course. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's, I've heard that story so many times. Yeah. Yeah. I made it 20 days. Cheers. You know, so um, towards the end of my drinking, the spot checks were more and more difficult. And I realized I was in trouble and um, I decided on my own that I've got to quit. But I also knew that I had done spot checks, checks my entire life and I always went back to drinking. So I went a different route. I opened up the phone book to A and I went to the free program where you put a buck in the basket if you've got one. And uh, the people there told me that it would get better if I just kept coming back and did what they did. And so that's what I did. Were there things I don't agree with? Are there still things I don't agree with? Of course, I don't overthink it. I just do it. It works for me. Doesn't work for everybody. Um, so I'm happy that there are other programs out there available to people who need more help or different help. I'm just happy that sobriety is becoming a more common thing and the pursuit of it is becoming more available to all kinds of people. I see young people all the time in sobriety. It's really exciting. Yeah, that's good to hear. I've, I've seen, I've noticed that as well, like more people really kind of gravitating towards getting help, which is like a really good sign. So what if I do drink wine and have had some of those uh, not so pleasant experiences of having one too many? How would I figure it out? I mean, the question of, do I have a problem with alcohol or not? Is it like a one-time experience and I'll just uh, figure it out like that? Or do we set up tests for ourselves? Like, let's say, spot checks. But one of the things that struck me in, in, in what you were saying, Jeannie, is, is you know, I've, I've worked with a lot of people with addictions over the years in Parts of your story sounds very familiar to me with the other people I've worked with, but mm -hmm. this part about like spot checks and like, you know, I guess maybe in the therapy world, we call it like rationalizing out, continued drinking. But like, I really honestly believe people have this process where they go forward and go back and they try to figure it out. Um, they make deals with themselves. So how long did that go on? And what do you think was like 
the breakthrough point for you, if there is one, where maybe the spot checks and the kind of making deals, like it didn't, it stopped working for you. So how long did you probably grapple with that? Well, I think I recall my first spot check, I was a teenager, you know, and then I didn't quit um, finally for good until I was 44. Um, Prior to that, it was always, I I guess I couldn't fathom the idea of quitting for good. So I just had to kind of prove to myself that I was okay. Yeah. 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 I see. And and that's some of the difficulty I've seen just in, in the treatment world which is in realizing like what a big step it is for somebody to even walk through the doors, number one, mm-hmm. the kind of courage that takes or the courage to walk into your first meeting. Yeah, right. Um, I mean, that's tremendous courage. Right. And, and then the part about like people actually like alcohol or drugs have been so part of their lives. They've served a certain purpose. Their support system's built around it. And then this idea of like, um, never going back to that the rest of your life. And I think like when people think about that, everybody's like, I can't do it. It doesn't, there's no way I can do that. And then they kind of almost like get scared back into, uh, back into playing the game, so to speak. So I don't know if you could have any insight on that. Like, is there anything anybody could have even told you when you were like a teenager in your early twenties that would have convinced you otherwise? Yes. Uh, So I'm not sure if there's something somebody could have told me. However, maybe if I would have known people who were living happy, joyous and free in sobriety, I might have realized sooner that it's it's not the chopping block. You know, I mean, when I I, so we talked about the spot checks, I did the spot checks (sighs) to prove to myself that I would I'm okay to keep on drinking. And then when the difference was when I the difference when I finally quit for good is I sought community of people who also were doing the same thing. And I think the difference of how I stay in sobriety now is I continue to associate and have community of people who do the same thing. I'm, uh, I'm not really loving my choice of how I'm explaining this. Oh, right now. I, I, I actually think it's beautiful <laughs> because like if you're hanging out drinking or, or using drugs, whatever your deal is, you have you're going to probably naturally hang out with a bunch of people that do the same thing. And I I, I always refer to it as this, I give it this term, like, likes, like. Like if I'm a chronic drinker and like to go (laughs) to the bars and drink every day, seven days a week, or I'm at, you know, the end stage, I'm not probably going to seek out a bunch of people that don't drink. And are sober on the weekends. It, it's not going right. to fit. Right. And so to me, it, it makes logical sense then that maybe the answer or the solution is actually transitioning to not just like not using I me mean, that that's the thing everybody gets hung up on. That's it. But it's really like, it seems like the other piece of it with a lot of people is like, how do I get into a different community where I actually, because when I drink, oftentimes I'll have a good time or I'll feel right. a little bit better. And it's almost like just replacing that, trying to replace that with something new, which is a community that you can still have those same kind of feelings and enjoyment, but it's just not centered around, you know, drinking or drugging. Yes. 
yes. And that said, I still associate with people who do drink. However, that's not like every Saturday night, go watch people drink. There are, there are times when I socialize with people who do drink and I'm okay with them drinking. Um, but I do have a community of sober people. And I, and I think it's important in my case, um, to remember why I made that final decision to quit in the first place and to remember that drinking and I just don't work out together. Be that call myself an alcoholic or be that whatever, you know, I, I don't get too caught up on the verbiage. I do identify as an alcoholic, but I don't think that's the end all. I just have to remember what it was truly like for me to thine own self be true. It doesn't mean look out for numero uno. It means be honest with my own self about how it really was. Yes, there were good times. There were also bad times. And I have to keep those things fresh in my mind. And I think that's the difference. Each time I did those spot checks and I think, okay, I'm good. I forgot why I started the spot check in the first place. You know, it's funny how you get further away from that last painful time. You kind of forget about it. So I have to um, keep it fresh. That said, I don't struggle daily with, oh, I better not drink today. I better, I don't even think about it anymore. But when I do think about it, I'm real with myself about, you know, uh, why I, why I crawled into a room full of strangers and asked them to help me in the first place. You know, um, it wasn't because I, I was having a grand old time out drinking. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Yeah. Somebody yeah. said nobody, yeah, nobody flies into recovery on the wings of success. You know, I absolutely love this conversation <laughs> so far. And the reason why is because you're talking about like, like I sat in the treatment world. I've been in the treatment world for like 20 some years and we have people into intensive outpatient. I've done residential treatment, you know, helping people identify the relapse warning signs and triggers, developing a new sober support system. But what you just said is like how it actually happens in real life mm. and that there are, I think, scary moments. And number two is, and I've heard this and I've said it, I mean, I'm guilty as charged because it's the best thing I knew to say at the time. And, and when I look back at it, I don't think I would have said the same thing. Like you outlined, you said, I have a solid so sober support system, people I hang out with that sort of reinforced this kind of lifestyle for me. But I didn't necessarily like end every single relationship with people that still drink. I, those relationships obviously must be of some value besides just the fact that that person drinks, but I've been right. able to kind of maintain those. And probably I would imagine, I don't know if this is true, but people report like those people are supportive, even though they drink, they're supportive of the other person's sobriety. Exactly. My, that, that's the kind of friends I have. Um, I had some friends who were disappointed when I quit because I was kind of the life of the party sometimes, you know, but I had to say, no, it's no fun for me anymore. I'm glad I make you laugh sometimes, but it's no fun for me anymore. And they came around, you know, um, do I do I hang around with the same people every day that I used to No, But well, for one thing, we've moved, you know, but life is always changing. Friendships always change. You still have the same relatives and such. I mean, I, I don't know. I've heard this. I've heard slogans of people who come in and talk about changing playgrounds and all that kind of stuff. And in some cases that may be true. Um, I didn't have playgrounds. I was a, I was a housewife. I was a mom. My kids had play groups where I would go and sit with the other mom when I went to get them and she'd offer me a glass of wine, things like that. I didn't, 
I wasn't like, you know, hanging out in a crack house or anything like that. I, I had people that I socialized with and I couldn't just go fire them all because I had a drinking problem. You yeah. Know? And I didn't go announce to everybody right away either. You know, I kind of kept it to myself for a while, partially because I wasn't sure if I'd be successful. So I didn't want to go announce to everybody I have a drinking problem and now I've quit. And then they see me the following week drinking. But um, it worked out. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, see, this is this is super. I, I'm getting more and more interested in this conversation. Look out, Jeannie. Uh-oh. This <laughs> this is so interesting to me because, like, you know, we're, everybody always in. You know, I teach over at UW Whitewater. I teach this Introduction to Alcohol and Other Drug Studies class. So I have like 80 college students I work with, mm-hmm. and um, a lot of this a lot of the things that they conceptualize as that would mean I have a problem is like end stage alcoholism. Like I'm laying in the gutter. I got a needle in my arm. I'm drinking in the bathroom. I'm drinking every day. I'm hiding it. And there's really like this misconception out there that there's actually a progression towards that. That's like more end state stuff. Um, But what I really like about what you said is this part about, Hey, I was a housewife. I used to hang out in play play groups and have a glass of wine with the other moms. And I wasn't like getting in legal problems. I wasn't crashing my car, getting like umpty amounts of OWIs. I would probably be a a peer on the outside, a pretty normal, healthy person. If it's not end-stage alcoholism, what would the progression look like? Would it be a dramatic rock bottom? Or perhaps an alcohol-related blackout, defined as a period of amnesia about things a person did or places a person went while intoxicated, and they just don't remember it. They have to ask people what they were doing last night, which is much different than passing out, which is simply falling asleep because you've drank too much. Or would it be defined by other factors, such as just a craving for alcohol, spending most of your day drinking, having unsuccessful attempts quitting, having alcohol impact your relationships, your recreational activities, your occupation. You might even experience increased tolerance, which is needing more alcohol to get the same effect, or suffer from alcohol withdrawal symptoms, which are typically the sweats and shakes after a night of drinking. But having said all that, to be honest with you, I don't know if I'd want to figure it out. It's pretty scary. Am I off on Good enough. Yeah, I've never been arrested. I w- uh, you know, I've been in the same marriage for 26 years. Um, yeah, I mean, unless I was at your party, you might notice that I had a drinking problem because I might be the drunkest person in the room more than once. But I'd be invited back, you know. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people probably thought you were fun. Yeah, people. some people thought I was fun. It wasn't fun for me anymore. And... and, um, and I knew that, you know. I mean, I was blacking out. You know, so I'd call one of my best girlfriends and go, oh, was I really bad? No, you were on fire. You were so funny. But, you know, (laughs) it wasn't fun for me anymore. And I got to where I knew that. Now, were there times in my 30s where I got to that point? Yes. Even in my 20s where I got to that point. I think I just didn't realize that sobriety was an option for me because I had always had the picture of the end stage alcoholic who goes and and goes into a, you know, someplace and gets sobriety. You know what I mean? I, I really, I put it off for as long as I could because I thought it would be miserable and I didn't know if it would work. I really never knew anybody. 
I knew I knew people who don't drink. I have a sister who doesn't drink. She just doesn't like it. But I never knew anybody who at one time loved it and then quit. I didn't know anybody like that. So I didn't know if it was actually going to work, you know? And, yeah. And it worked. <laughs> yeah, amazing. So you never really reached like this end state alcoholism, drinking every day, hiding in the closets, hiding the no. booze around us. So you never reached that. You reached a different point where you said, hey, this is just not for me. I, it, like the bad right. times outweigh the good times at this point. Yeah, I was still going to parties. I was still socializing. I was making a fool of myself now because I was usually the one with the lampshade. But I, was, I wasn't home alone drinking vodka out of a bottle. You know, I was I was with other people my age, drinking way too much wine. <laughs> yeah, this I'm so glad. I'm just so glad to hear the story that we have. This yes. um, we're able to talk about it because I know and I've met so many people out there that will have that same view that if it's not end stage alcoholism, I'm I don't have a problem. Right now, there's an inclination once you once you quit drinking and you and you start to feel better. It seems there's an inclination to start thinking, I wasn't that bad, you know, especially if you're in a group of people and they're telling you their war stories and you think, well, I never got arrested. Maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I overreacted. Maybe I jumped the gun on this thing and maybe and, and drink, you know, maybe I could do it better this time only on Saturday night with people who drink. You know, there is that inclination in the mind. And I have had those thoughts early on in sobriety. Um, and I think what stopped me is I continued with the sober community. So I would have times where I'd sit down and have to think about, you know, there's times when I go and I sit with some people and there are times when I feel so inspired and these people are wonderful and they, they inspire me. And there's times when I sit there and I think these people are effing nuts. What am I doing with these people? And then I think to myself, <laughs> Oh, remember how you were drinking and you were crying and you went in and they all helped you? And then I think, oh, yeah, that's what I'm doing with these people. This, you know? this is so this is so good, Jeannie, in terms of Thank like you. what really goes on in somebody's mind. Like they would think like, oh, you met your sober support system. You're inspired by them and you uh, rode off into the sunset. You never, ever had like a thought of like, why am I sitting with these people? These people have way worse stories than me. Um, maybe I could actually be the one to go back successfully. And I'm glad that you said this because I think a lot of people have these thoughts. Oh, sure. Then that's why I think a lot of people try drinking again. And I've been told that it gets worse. So I, you know, I don't miss it. I, I think I moved past those thoughts. However, like even in the first couple of years, every now and then, you know, um, you move, you know, we move to a new place and then I'm hanging around with all new parents and they seem a little more glamorous than the other parents. And I, and they don't seem to be like really throwing down and drinking too much. And then I might think maybe it'd be different with these people. Look how, you know, pretty they look with their glass of wine and their <laughs> manicures and everything. Maybe if I drank with them, it would be more civilized. You know, you, your mind can do these little tricks, but it hasn't happened to me lately because each time I push back, um, can I tell you how I think of it in my head sometimes with alcohol? You've heard people say I abused alcohol. Yeah. A lot of people say, I'm not an alcoholic. I abuse alcohol. And I used to say that, too. And I was 
it was a couple of years in. Oh, one other thing. I don't like the term I got sober or I'm in sobriety because I feel like it implies I was drunk all the time. I wasn't, you know, I had sober days in a row, you know, and maybe then I'd get drunk on Saturday night. So at first I didn't like the term getting sober. You know, I was like, you know, I, I was sober three, two days before I even went to a community, you know, like I am sober, but now I understand it, it means something entirely different than just the absence of alcohol. Anyway. <laughs> so how does alcohol move in? Does it actually whisper in your ear? Does it tell you to drink? Or does it prey on your risk factors? We know that women are twice as likely to suffer from anxiety and depression as men, and they are more likely than men to treat their symptoms with alcohol, according to numerous studies. Other risk factors include a history of sexual abuse and bulimia. Moreover, Yale neuroscience researchers in 2012 investigating cravings between men and women discovered that stress was a predominant trigger for women. So do people abuse alcohol? Or does alcohol abuse people? I started to think of it this way. Alcohol abused me. You know, it was, I, I, I watched a documentary or something. I, I, I was a couple of years in and I was working as a case manager and we went to a, a thing and it, it had, it was an all day conference about abusive relationships and recognizing them in clients and stuff like that. And I, sitting there bored, thinking this, uh, you know, it's a day, it's a day away from the office and free donuts. And I realized partway in, I had an abusive relationship with alcohol. Alcohol, if I think of it almost like a person, abused me. Alcohol came to me and showed me a wonderful time in the beginning, just like they say it all begins, you know. Alcohol showed me I was pretty and funny in the life of the party. Alcohol made, I shined when I was with alcohol. And then slowly, sneakily, as it does in some abusive relationships, every now and then alcohol would make a fool out of me or knock me down, you know, or make or, or beat me up in one way or another. And then alcohol would console me after, you know, when I'm feeling crappy about how alcohol made a fool out of me, then alcohol would console me. Oh, come on. It wasn't that bad. How about a sip? Just a glass of wine, you know, talking in my head. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. So, like, I, I, I love that framing. Alcohol abused me, sort of like lured me in to think, like, yeah. I'm the life of the party. Look at how, yeah. you know, I can socialize. It's, 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 yeah. In the end, alcohol controlled everything I did. You know, I would be at a gymnastics competition or something with my daughter, and one of the other moms who doesn't drink would say, Hey, you want to share a room next competition? We could, you know, We'll go to the thing or whatever. You know what I mean? I'd get an invite from somebody, a normal person. And I'd go, yeah, that sounds like fun. And alcohol would whisper in my ear, you know you can't share a room with her. You know she doesn't drink. That kind of thing. Alcohol Uh. chose my friends, decided when and where I went, if I could go, because I always had to consider what he, alcohol, would have to say about it or if he was welcome or if he would have. Uh, approve of it. I hope I'm explaining it right. But um, so then I, I realized that I, it wasn't working for me in alcohol and, and I broke it off. You know, I got help. I broke it off. I said goodbye. And every now and then I run into him like I'll be going through the vegetable aisle and there he is in the organic section. Look, it's different now. I'm organic. No nitrates. Come on. It'll be better this time. You know, yeah. <laughs> uh, or, or he's hanging with a new crowd. He's with a new crowd saying, look, you know, we don't go crazy. We just have a little bit of fun. Come on, martinis. You never even had a martini. 
it'll be different this time. And and I and I think of that as a bad person trying to suck me back in. And uh, I say, you know, no, I know who you are. You know, go find somebody else. I that helps me to think of it that way because I always thought I was too smart to be in that kind of a relationship. And now I realize that I wasted like I gave up all the best years of my life, you know, so I wasn't too smart to be in that kind of relationship, but I'm smarter now. And I know, I know who he is. Ah, <laughs> I, know he, I know what he wants to do to me. <laughs> so you got, so I'm free. <laughs> Today I'm free. Nice. Oh, I love that. Today I'm free. So maybe what we could do is I'm going to ask you a question about like, how has sobriety, like when we were talking before, you said everybody oftentimes thinks like sobriety sucks. Now my life is going to be boring. It's, you know, I'm not going to be able to hang out with, have any fun. I'm not going to hang out with my old using or drinking buddies. But you really have a different, I love your take on it. So if maybe you could talk a little bit about your journey towards seeing a different side to sobriety. Right. Um. In the, in the beginning, it, it was difficult because I wasn't sure if I could do it, um, and I did think about drinking a lot. And in the beginning, you know, you hear that expression, one day at a time, and that kind of scared me because I thought, I'm going to be for the rest of my life, one day at a time, oh, don't drink today, please don't drink today, please don't drink today. But eventually, um, the impulse or the compulsion, the obsession to drink did just naturally peel away. And I got over that hump of, please don't drink today. And, I, you know, the next thing I know, I wasn't even thinking about drinking. But the um, philosophy of one day at a time, as it turns out, um, is very helpful in just regular life. So it's about living one day at a time. Not that you don't prepare responsibly for the future. Of course you do. But to be, you hear it a lot, mindfulness, being present and all that. I take it. Literally. So if I'm starting to think of something in the future that worries me, I always have something that I'm worried about, you know, as a mother. And, and it's just my nature. I can reel myself back in with right here, right now, right at this moment. I'm OK. And the rest will play out as it should. And it doesn't mean that I found some some entity that looks out for just me and I get all the, everything I want because I have some kind of a favor. No, I don't think that I, I but what I think is that, um, I've come to realize that things play out as they should or as they will. And, and I'm okay. And most of the things that I worry about in my mind, they just don't end up happening. And again, not because I have special favor with anybody, but because the odds are against it. Every, if I ever told you everything that I worry about, um, it's too much. The odds are they can all happen. But mm. that's, not the, that's not the question you asked. No, but, I love it. but these are gold nuggets for our listeners. <laughs> so I love that. Recovery Nation, yeah. listen up. These are like, she's dropping gold nuggets all over the place. Um, yeah, this, this, so where, how long do you think the process took where you saw like this one day at a time, like, I just don't want to drink. I just don't want to drink. For you, and I realize everybody's different and kind of how they move through that process, but um, it's sort of like stage one, the stage two, uh-huh. point A to point B, where you're not thinking about it as much. How long did that point A hang out before you kind of transitioned to point B where you started? 
not yeah, not thinking about sobriety, like not drinking as you know as much or as often. I think it was a couple of months, probably. I mean, the initial, the really tough part was probably ten or twelve days. Okay. But then I still did think about it. You know, you hear people say that people drink to mask feelings. I, you know, maybe I need therapy. I never came up with the feelings I was trying to mask. But boredom was a big one for me. You know, I didn't know what to do with an entire Saturday. You know, if you can't start drinking at three o'clock. So how to fill the space, the empty space between things happening was a tough one for me. I was very... Um, antsy when when there was nothingness happening which today i think of that as serenity but um in the beginning that was tough and uh i i fostered a litter of puppies and it literally kept me busy you know it gave me something to do i did that for about four weeks um and i didn't know i was doing that for my sobriety it was just something that i could now commit to because i didn't have to think i don't want to wake up and have to take care of eight puppies, you know, at five o'clock in the morning because I wasn't drinking. So I, I had more time to do that. So yeah. I enjoyed But it was, it was weeks, maybe months before it really went away. And then it was only now and then when it would sneak back in and try to tell me it'll be different this time, you know, maybe on a Saturday night or, and then I had to be on guard for those times. And, and I did that, you know, um, by saying, present with the recovery community and um, and keeping in the forefront of my mind that sobriety was the most important thing I've ever done for myself and I couldn't put it on the back burner. The National Institute of Health and research done by Cena in 2001 and 2005 reported that chronic alcohol use can result in neuroadaptive changes in stress and reward pathways. Such changes may alter an alcohol-dependent person's response to stress, particularly with respect to stressful situations, emotional regulation, and motivation for alcohol, all of which may increase the risk for an alcohol relapse. So if stress can influence women to drink, wouldn't like the loss of losing someone close to you after you're newly sober lead you down the path of relapse? Or... Could, like, sobriety be a superpower? I think I was about six weeks in when my mom got sick, and I, was, I went to Long Island to be with her for the, her final weeks. And um, that was difficult, but I was very much aware that it was also a gift, that I could be there, I could be present. You know, I would have been there for her even while I was drinking, but I would have been... Um, thinking about, you know, when she goes to sleep so I could go have a glass of wine or something like that. I was able to be there present entirely. So you were just six weeks sober when this happened. Yes. And, and I, yeah. And I was, I was able to being there present the whole entire time was such a gift to me, you know, since in the 10 years that I've been sober, we've had so many changes and some good things have happened, some bad things have happened. And I think of it like this, life is a buffet of all sorts of things. And I don't, I don't want to be numb for any of it. I want to feel the sadness. I want to feel the pain. I want to feel the happiness. I want to feel the joy. I don't want to miss any of it. And that's, that's how I feel now, because even the sad times have been a gift to me that I've been able to be there, you know. 
Um, I think of it this way too, as far as being present in the moment. Like there were times, oh, there's times like I pick, I say going to Disney World with the kids. You know, we did that when they were young, and it and it was fun. But it, you know, it's like how much you're standing online, you know, another 40 minutes on this line. Oh, I can't take it. Another 40 minutes on this line. Then you do the rides. Okay, one more hour and we're back to the hotel. Okay, two more hours and they're going to bed. And then we can finally relax. You know, mm, that's, yeah. how I lived, that's how I lived my life. It was like the finish line was always when you could sit down and relax with a beer or a glass of wine. So I missed all that stuff leading up to the finish line. Even standing online at Disney World can be a joy if you're there 100%. And oh, yeah. The conversations, the, the, the adorability. You know, I just made that word up. But the things that are happening all the time, that's life. It's not make it to six o'clock on Friday night so you could forget about life. That's how that's how I had always lived and I missed a lot of good stuff. Wow. Know? Wow. That is once again another huge gold nugget. <laughs> You're spe- you you are like speaking to I think so many people out there. I mean whether you're maybe out there maybe you found this podcast or by accident, maybe somebody gave it to you, but maybe you're sitting there and you have a similar path and you're thinking about trying to make a change. It is possible. And what you're talking about, Jeannie, is is kind of the process and that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And like a lot of times people would say like, well, yeah, I just want to relax at the end of the night. That's what it was all about. But really what you're speaking to, which I have not heard a lot of people speak to, is all the preoccupation that goes on that you're actually then losing out in where you are in that moment in time. Absolutely. So maybe you're in line with the kids waiting for a ride. All the goofy stuff you can end up doing or saying. Um, I even think about my daughters and some of the... You know, my son, like some of the the best conversations have been while we were like waiting in line sometimes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow. And, and I'll notice that at, at a place like Disney World, you can look around while you're people watching and you'll notice some people are just miserable because <laughs> yeah. they can't wait to get to the happy part. And some people are in the happy part wherever they are. And that's what I've learned how to do in sobriety. And I don't mean I'm a a, a uh, optimist in every situation. Some situations, you know, um, are, there's nothing to be happy about. Um, but I'm th- I'm there. I'm present for every situation. You know, I'm not yeah. an eternal optimist. That's not what I've gotten in sobriety. I'm just I'm present, and I'm able to find the joy in pretty much any situation. I think. Now, yeah, I'm gonna take a stab in the dark. Let me know. I mean, I could be totally off on this, but it 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 almost sounds like. You're just like happier and more like in your body with your emotions, your spirit, who you are. So that you're saying, wait a second, it's just not like it's, you know, hunky dory 24 seven, but life is ups and downs. That's kind of what life is. But I kind of want to feel it all and be present for it all. Exactly. And it's not to say, I mean, I'm not 100 percent. Um, and there, you know, I'm, I, I haven't got it all figured out, 
Um, but I'm happier today than I've ever, than I ever was prior to giving up drinking. You know, I stand a much better chance of getting to that highest level of self-actualization than I ever had before. But, um, yeah, I, I am happier now. And, and I hear people talk about struggles in recovery and sometimes, I think to myself, those are just struggles in life. Regular people struggle with the same things like anxiety and, and self-doubt and all those things that, you know, I, I still have. And some days it gets to me and some days it doesn't, you know. Um, some problems, some internal issues, you know, us in recovery, we don't have the corner market on them. You know, that's that's the human experience we all struggle with things. And as, well, as a sober person, you stand a better chance of, you know, navigating your way through it. Wow, what insight. So you're saying almost like you can get sober, but that it doesn't mean life stops and life's issues stop. Oh, it's yeah. still going on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that you have to kind of like acclimate and get sort of like jump on that track for a little bit and it's going to take a little while because it's kind of like a new track right um but but being more present and being supported is maybe some of the keys so do you have any one like challenge that you faced where you felt like wow it's i don't even know if i can get through this where then you were able to overcome it in some way and then if you did, if you if something comes to mind, um, I always like asking guests, like, how did you, like, what were, like, some of the key ingredients in overcoming that challenge? Because I know a lot of listeners, I've heard from a lot of people, they're like, when you get these people on, I'll ask them, like, like, where was their challenge? How did they get through it? Because I want to use some of what they used to see if I can help myself in my own life. I didn't have a particular challenge where I thought for this one, this I'm going to drink. I'm going because I eliminated that as a choice. You know, I I was convinced I was convinced that drinking doesn't work for me. And I was also convinced that drinking doesn't solve anybody's problems. Have I had challenges? Yes. Um, It's been 10 years. And well, first my mom died. And then a couple years later, I inherited my dad who has had dementia um, then my hu- my husband had been uh, enlisted in the Navy when I first entered into intentional sobriety. And then he retired, so there was a job search. And then he was laid off, so there was a time with no job, and we had to move the whole everybody, you know, um, to the next job. So we've had our challenges. Uh, two years ago, I was diagnosed with lupus. Um, so it seems like there's been challenges one after another after another. And I wonder sometimes, God, did anything ever happen back when I was drinking? Because I don't remember being challenged one after another after another, you know. And maybe I was just oblivious and somebody else handled the things, you know. <laughs> but um, but the sobriety has helped me navigate each of those things. Now, has there been times with each of those things where I started to panic and go, oh, my God, this is going to, you know, say when my husband was between jobs and I had my dad and what's going to happen? We're going to, you know, have to lose the house and live blah, blah, blah. You know, and somebody said to me, I named all the things that could happen. We can't pay tuition for the kids. We're going to lose the house. We're going to. And somebody said, you know, 
I'm not going to promise you those things aren't going to happen because they could happen. Things like that do happen to people. But I can promise they're not going to happen all at once. You know, mm. one thing might happen. Another thing might happen. But right here, right now, right at this moment, you're okay. So stay in the moment and prepare responsibly. Do the next right thing to prepare for the future, of course. But right here, right now, right at this moment, you're okay. And then navigate each thing as it happens. And you'll be okay. I can't promise the outcome, but you'll be okay. That was promised to me. And that's how I have navigated each situation since the first situation that scared the crap out of me, you know. And um, sometimes I feel like sobriety is my superpower, like stuff coming at us. And I'm like, boom, 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 you know, just <laughs> just handling it. Yeah. I'm sober and, and I can trust I can trust that the answers will come because sometimes I, the only thing I know to do is do nothing. Okay, this is bigger than me. I'm not sure how to handle it. Just how about just don't handle it for now. And then the answers come, you know, and um, my intuition is so much. I can trust my intuition these days better than I ever could back when I was drinking. I'm just so much more in tune with myself and the world, you know. Um, gosh, what? I almost think I'm sounding like a fake because if you knew me personally, you'd know that I'm really sometimes a scattered mess. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I join you in all the above. <laughs> yes, I. I'll 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 go to the first of the line when it comes to being a bit scattered and imperfect. There's no doubt. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, I join you. I join. We. I would see you in line. We'd have to wait a little bit. You know, like we're waiting for a ride to get to the door of imperfection. We'd be in line, but right. we'd be able to have this like great conversation. Right. Right. It's it, the pursuit of. It's yeah. Not that I'm there yet? You know, I'm not so zen that that's all good. But I'm, you know, I stand a chance. Um, in December, my dad died. He was 94, and I had been taking care of him. He was my full time responsibility for the past, I think it was about six years. And um, he was ready. You know, he was more than ready. He was 94, and he, he was ready. Um, and it was sad and I mourned properly and all that stuff. But really one of the things is, well, now what do I do? You know what I mean? I'm a displaced housewife. I had my, my kids are grown. They're in college and working now. And now my dad died and I tend to immediately self doubt and beat myself up. What's my purpose? You know, why do I even exist? What, I don't really do anything, but I've been through so many changes before that I'm a little, I'm not as anxious about it. Like I might've been eight years ago. I'm like, okay, just chill. <laughs> Life will unfold as it should, you know? And, and so that's me again, go, you know, navigating the changes with my superpower of sobriety. I can trust that life will unfold as it should and I'll be where I'm supposed to be. So what would a housewife, alcoholic, sober, fun life person say to someone listening? A housewife, a full-time mother who's listening. Would she scream to the top of her lungs, go to AA and everything will be all right? Or might she say something different? If there was somebody out there, let's just say it's somebody who's um, a stay-at-home mom with the kids and she's listening to you and she's saying, wow, that like hits home. Her life story hits home close to where I'm at. I'm like 
28 or 29 right now, and I can really relate. What would you want to say to that listener? I would say, what have you got to lose? Give sobriety a whirl. You know, um, and, and and I don't recommend doing it alone. There's lots of places and programs and groups out there. You know, uh, open the phone book to A for alcohol or alcoholism and um, pick something. And, and then don't nitpick and overthink it. You know, I didn't go when I went for help. I didn't go to argue or to, to you know, rewrite their manual. You know, take what you need and leave the rest. And give it a whirl. And and maybe it'll turn out it's not for you. Um, but at least give it a whirl because it it's sobriety is the greatest the greatest gift I've ever given to myself. And I just wish I had known when I was younger what a wonderful gift it would be. Mm. You know, and I wish I wasn't so caught up on this in the stigma of alcoholism that I, that it kept me away from sobriety. I heard somebody say something once, I'd rather go through life believing, I'd rather go through life believing I'm an alcoholic and be wrong than go through life drunk trying to convince myself that I'm not an alcoholic. Something like that. That's a misquote. Misquote or not, that is well said. And that is a profound, profound statement. You know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe technically I'm not an alcoholic. Who cares? As far as I'm concerned, I am because I'm I'm much happier sober. So yeah, yeah. So give it a. I like that. I like the term. It's easy to remember. Give it a whirl. And the other thing I like, and I've seen this. I've seen this in my own personal life. I've seen it in my professional life. And you've really like touched on it. And I don't even know if you really know like what you touched on. But it's this idea of. I'm going to say just one word action. You have to get into action at some point. Like you can think about it and think about it and think about it. But ultimately, in order to change the trajectory of your life, I really honestly feel this, is like you have to figure out what different action am I going to take? Because it's only through that action will different things begin to unfold. Excuse me. But I think about you taking care of the puppies. So you engage in a lot, you know, you're with these dogs, these puppies, you're taking action. It's like taking up time to care for them. And you're not like, instead of not doing anything and sitting home thinking about not drinking, you're playing around with puppies and trying to help them out. You don't really know it at the time. But like right. that's an action. You were in right. action while you were in. So get sober and get into action and keep right. staying into action, trying and different things. Oh, I'm sorry. No, that's that's me. I was just going on one of full potential Ted's rants. Ah, that's okay. <laughs> I was very much aware while I was taking care of those puppies that it's not something I could have done, certainly not well, or it's not something I would have been free to volunteer to do if drinking was still priority one. And there were a lot of those nuggets that I was aware of, especially early on. Today I wake up and go about my business and I forget that it's all a gift, you know. But early on I was very much aware. Uh, I was a couple months in when my daughter, um, Hannah Montana was coming to town and you had to go stand online overnight (laughs) to get tickets on a Saturday night. Now there is no way 
that I ever would have done that, you know, um, had I been drinking, I couldn't, you know, but, um, my husband and I went and did that. We stood online all night long with all the other parents to get the Hannah Montana tickets, you know, and I was aware the entire night, I couldn't be doing this if I was drinking, you know, I, there's no way I would yeah. have been a drunk online and we wouldn't have went, you know? So there were things like that, that I was very much aware were gifts of my choice to give sobriety a whirl. Sobriety being a gift. So what would you say to, let's say, somebody who's not in early sobriety, um, but maybe they've been sober for a while, but life is boring or maybe they're drifting off the path a little bit. I mean, this is like another thing that's really never really talked about. Yeah. <laughs> Do you um, have any like words of wisdom or just thoughts yeah, of how you've I been think- able to handle it? Yeah, I I would say um, do whatever you have to do to remember why you gave it up in the first place, because that's very important. You know, be honest with yourself about what it was really like, you know, whatever. There's a reason why you quit in the first place. Try to get back in touch with that reason. Try to feel it again Um, and be honest with yourself about whether or not, you know, alcohol really works for you. I I wouldn't tell you where to go, you know, but there's plenty of places. There's 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 women recovery groups online. There's there's all kinds of things. Just get back in touch with the original reason why you quit in the first place. I've heard of people saying getting tired of the sober life. I don't I don't know why. That's just getting tired of life as far as I'm concerned. And they say, you know, oh, F this. I've heard of that. And, um, you know, think back to why you chose the sober life in the first place. Think about that. And, and maybe you'll be saying F that, F that. Yeah, I <laughs> love back to that. Again. <laughs> you know? a, re- a reverse F that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because what made you crawl into the world of sober? It's unfortunate that most people have to get to a point that they come crawling into the sober society. And I just, I don't know. I, I just wish that, um, and I don't know if it's possible. Maybe that's the only way, you know, but I hope one day that sobriety is so fashionable that some people just choose it because, <laughs> not because they need it, but because it's just that much more attractive than being drunk. That's so, what I hope. I, I love it. Know. I love it. Sobriety being a sexy superpower. That's the yeah. new word I thought of. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, yeah. super. Yeah, super, super cool. I mean, I think these are just like wonderful insights. Um, so what do you do now at three o'clock on a Saturday? What keeps you you going and what are you looking um, forward to? And what's, yeah. I have a pretty full life. I have a pretty charmed life that I, I, I struggle with feeling almost... Um, undeserving of it but yeah I'm still a housewife only my kids are grown you know I'm still a caretaker but my dad is gone I run an Airbnb out of the house I like that um it's homemaking is something I'm good at and um it's a separate space where my dad used to live and and I refurbished it and made it completely separate so that's kind of fun I belong to a writer's group um, I go to on Saturday mornings and I meet with another writer's group every other Wednesday. 
I'm trying to give yoga another whirl. I still struggle with things like sugar and exercise and just like regular people do. But, you know, I'm always trying. <laughs> so I just signed up for another three-month yoga trial thing. I'm trying to take care of myself. I spent, you know, a lot of my life taking care of my family. Um, my husband has a job where he travels a lot. So when he comes home, we're kind of on vacation together. And one day when I no longer have a cat, maybe I'll travel with him and explore the towns where he's working. I'm not real sure. It's all, we're always in transition. You know, I was a full-time round-the-clock caregiver to my dad up until about five months ago. So I'm, I'm still figuring out who I am. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, that is so well, I mean, just how you described a full life. And, and I always think like this, and I, I love, Jeannie, the, the fact that you've kind of outlined that, I mean, obviously there's certain issues that are very specific to addiction, so, you know, getting sober and getting through it and, and transitioning to kind of a different life. But then there's just life. Mm-hmm. You know, like if I take it off sobriety and just say, what we know to be true is that people that want to keep growing as people, learning new things, realizing that they are going to transition to different things and they they might be scared or nervous, but as long as they keep juicing up their life and keep pursuing growth and change and being the best person possible, that they'll probably end up with a pretty full, satisfying life. Oh, amazing. And in my life that I have might not be appealing to a typical 24-year-old. It might appear to be boring, but this it's my... I have my life set up how I choose. I really, I can do anything. I don't want to go skydiving and all that stuff and climb mountains, but somebody who's 24, if they're sober, they could do all that if that's what they wanted to do. Um, I could do any, I can do anything I want today because I no longer have to suck the master. <laughs> that was my favorite line of the whole podcast. I'm free. I'm free. free. Free from the master. I love it. Well, um, where could people check you out if they want to read more about because you're a blogger. I saw your website. It's a great website. Phenomenal person. So where could people uh, learn more about you and and check your stuff um, out? My blog is www.SoberlySpeaking.com. And um, I also have a place on Airbnb, and it's called My Favorite Place in Dunedin, Florida. Excellent. Excellent. Well, um, any closing thoughts? Um, No. (laughs) Thank you for taking the time to... I don't know, engage my enthusiasm about sobriety. I, I hope you change the world. I hope that I hope that for future generations, sobriety becomes more available and more accessible. And and um, that's my hope. I don't, you know, I hope people don't wait until they're forty-four like I did. Yeah, yeah, that's a great message. That's a, you know, to be honest, that's my hope too. Is like we yes. can reach people at an earlier age and realize, wait a second, you don't have to wait mm-hmm. to yes. figure out. Maybe you can start figuring out a little bit earlier. Right. And uh, I love the term. <laughs> what do we call it? Uh, s- sobriety is a sexy s- 
superpower? Well, I don't, I don't know that I said sexy, but I, I added sexy. I'll take full good. ownership of that. Added, that's good. And, and people will look at that says sober is sexy. <laughs> sober is sexy. Uh, it's, it's not my um, quote. It's a sticker that I bought somewhere. So yeah, yeah I mean, so, sobriety is a cool thing. It's not a punitive thing for people who can't hang anymore. It's, you know, for everybody. Well, you are a bright light in this world, and I am feel so grateful and honored just to be able to talk to you. And I know that maybe you were nervous about coming on. Um, you were very eloquent, clear, and to the point. And dr- I'm just, it's. I feel like I was, I feel like I was in the like desert digging, trying to find people who are energetic, you know, and and really have a message and and are really fully present. And I feel like I. Dig, you know, dug down about like ten feet and discovered you, <laughs> and now you're here. So it's like super cool. So, with all said, um, I we just want to salute you and thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Hey there, Recovery Nation. Producer John here again. Thank you to Jeannie Hirth for spending your time with us. Make sure to find Jeannie's blog at SoberlySpeaking.com. If you liked today's episode, you can subscribe, leave a review, and listen to past episodes on iTunes. And visit FullPotentialNow.org for your free TED tools, including where to find a rehab center near you. Thanks for listening.